0: I'm reading this morning from Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. "'While they were going, behold, some of the guards went into the city "'and told the chief priests all that had taken place. "'And when they assembled with the elders and taken counsel, "'they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "'Tell people, his disciples came by night "'and stole him away while we were asleep. "'And if this comes to the governor's ear, "'we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble.' "'So they took the money and did as they were directed.' And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen.
1: Thanks, Emily. Morning, everyone. Morning. Uh, This morning, uh, we're looking at this passage, we're looking at our Uh, The the third of our four core values this morning, which is disciples making disciples. And before we do that, before we get into the the word today, before we open up God's word, I just want to take a second and pray for us uh, as we do that. So let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. We We thank you that you have not left us guessing when it comes to what we're supposed to do you've been clear with us and you've you've told us we are to make disciples. That's the mission that we've been called on. So Father, I pray that as your word is opened up, as you speak through it, that the power and the person of the Holy Spirit would work in us to to help us to fulfill the mission that you've given us. Please, Lord, speak, we pray. It's in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Right, before we start this morning, Julie has kindly left her uh, her, her stuff up here, and I was just going to reiterate the point, so if Ringo, Pete Meek, and Chris Scally could come to... Am I joking? Am I joking? That'd be some crack, wouldn't it? I would love to do that just for the crack. but uh, Just to make the logs out of it. But uh, also, on the football thing, no, Aaron doesn't like uh, Julie telling him what to do because she's never played football, Ronnie, that you're right. It doesn't stop her telling me how to preach. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, that, that's just a, a different story altogether. Uh, we are in week three of our core values series. And what was said about our core values up until this point is what we've always said about them. Core values are the most important thing about what we do. They have to be central to everything that we do. They are the most important thing to us. And so let's be clear about that as we get into the third one of those today. Disciples making disciples. When you hear that, when you hear that phrase, disciples making disciples, I often wonder what comes into your mind. There are questions, there are bound to be questions arise in your mind what that means. And so, I don't apologize today for, for going back to basics, as it were, because that's where we need to be. We need to get a grasp, and we need to have an understanding of what it means to be a disciple. That, that's one of the questions that arise. What is a disciple? We need to know what a disciple is. We need to know how we make disciples. We need to know how we make disciples that make disciples. And so, this seems to be all elementary, but it's not. It's not. Let me ask you a question. Who here has heard of or heard of the concept of the Great Commission? Now either some of you are doing what you normally do and don't put up your hand because you're embarrassed or we are closer to some statistics that I have here than than I would have thought. I have to thank my, my new research assistant, Gail Graham, uh, who texted me yesterday as I had my sermon already prepared on Thursday and gave me some new information yesterday. That was helpful, Gail, thank you. Uh, no, it was. It actually was. And so there's been some research carried out in the States, and I know it's an American, I think it's from the Barnett Group who are uh, a group who poll evangelicals to see what, what they know and what they don't know and what they feel and what they don't feel. And, and the Barna Group are very good at doing this. But I have some statistics here about the Great Commission amongst the evangelical church in America. And going from what I just saw, they might not be far away. Let me give you them. They're scary. 51% of churchgoers in America have never heard or heard of the concept of the great commission 51 percent two out of ten christians two out of ten christians are actively seeking ways to share their faith with a non-christian two out of ten that means eight out of every ten are not and possibly the most staggering, the most concerning one of all, is this. 47% of millennials, that is people born between the year 1981 and 1986, I just fall outside that, but close enough. 47% of millennial Christians believe it is morally wrong to share your faith. That's what the Barnapol found. 47% of evangelical Christians in America believe it is morally wrong to share your faith. And then we come to the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the passage that has just been read for us by Emily. Let me read it again so we know exactly what it is. And so you cannot go away, at least at least this group of people in front of me today cannot go away and say that they've never heard the Great Commission or don't know what the concept of the Great Commission is. Just let me read it to us again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee on the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And, then, and, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, now this is the Great Commission. These are the final words of Jesus sending the disciples into the world. This is the commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is the great commission. That is the mission that every single disciple has been given. Go into the world and what? Make more disciples. That's it. But obviously there's some confusion around this. Obviously, from going from that poll, that Barna poll, that Barna study, we can see that there is some confusion about what it means, and so that's why, in our core values, we don't want there to be any confusion about the mission that we have been placed on: make disciples. And so, as we begin today, we're looking at Matthew twenty, at the Great Commission, and what we'll see is some of the answers to the questions that I posed already. What is, it? what is a disciple? How do we make disciples? The context of Matthew 28 is that Jesus has just been crucified. He died. He has, he has, he has been resurrected powerfully. He has met with the disciples. According to John's account, he, 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 he meets with the disciples. He reinstates Peter after all the, mista- the mistakes and the mess that he had made. And he says, go to Galilee and I'll meet you there before I ascend back to the right hand of the Father and I have some final instructions for you. And as I say always, like as I said about Peter, Peter's letter was this last will and testament. We, we, we believe that whatever's going to come at the end of someone's life is vitally important. They're the most important things they can say. And so we believe that Jesus' last words to his disciples are what he wants to leave with them. And so they're important. And he says this, All authority in heaven on earth and on earth has been given to me. That's, the, that's how he starts out the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what comes next? You do. Why? Because I am the only one who has the authority to tell you that. Now, we need, we need, we need to think about this because never in a day and age have we lived where we have, we have witnessed such a resistance to authority. If you ever wondered, do people like authority or are people submissive to authority? Well, we've got our answer. People do not like authority, some more than others. Some are submissive, some just do not like it. And they struggle to submit to authority. We, we've witnessed that through the last 18 months. But Jesus says here, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That statement alone makes all the difference to what comes next. Because if if you claim, and if I claim to be a disciple of Jesus, whatever comes next, we do. Whatever comes next. I remember Matt Chandler saying one time, if, if Jesus were to say after all authority in heaven and on earth are given to me, I think he said something about if, if what comes next was find a, a pink unicorn and ride it round North that's what we did. He didn't say that because he, well, he doesn't know North He doesn't. He doesn't. He's not familiar with the territory. But that's what we would do. So whatever comes next, we do. So Jesus starts this vital, vitally important command, saying He has all the authority. So whatever comes next, we do. And then He says, "Go, go." This command that Jesus gives, this great commission, starts with a "go." I talked last week. I've, I've sort of got into watching stuff around the Navy SEALs again and, and stuff like that. But, but. Once the Navy SEALs get that command, once they've been given a mission, the, the, the mission has been outlined and, and they're instructed what to do, once they, get the, once they get that go, they go. There's no messing, there's no second guessing, there's no what if, what if this, what if, that's all been done. The go is the go and they go. The go here, sorry for the very elementary English lesson again, but the go is is a verb. It's a doing word. It literally means to move from one place to another. It is active, not passive. There is intentionality. It is a go. Now, I say this every time I preach this passage, every time I preach this core value, this is what I want us to. This is what I don't want us to hear, and what I do want us to hear. Sometimes, when we hear the Great Commission, when we hear the "Go into all the world and, and make disciples," what we think is we have to move to Timbuktu, and we feel the weight of that. And we feel like, "Oh no, I'm not carrying out the Great Commission because I'm not a missionary. I'm not moving halfway across the world to do this." Acts where is it? That is not what Jesus meant, but He didn't mean less than that. The call is very specific on certain people's lives. And so if you hear the Great Commission to go into all the world and and make disciples and you feel the go to go to Timbuktu, then you must go to Timbuktu. But for the most of us, that will not be the case. For the most of us, the the go, the passive movement, the the going into all the world to make disciples will be in our homes or with our neighbors or with our work colleagues or with those in the community. That's where the go will be. But nevertheless, it doesn't make it any less intentional. It's active. It's not passive. Disciples will not be made passively. They just won't. And I've done this before, but I think it's really important that we grasp this. And so I'll do it again. Think about who Jesus is speaking to when he says, go into all the world. Who's he speaking to? First century Jews. Go into all the world. That's an overwhelming statement for Jesus to make. They had no idea where this would take them. But did they follow through? Yes. Did they carry out the mission? Yes. Yes. And I've given you a list, if you've been with us for some time and you've heard core values before, I've given you a list before of where the disciples, who Jesus directly spoke to in this instance, ended up. They ended up all over the place. Rome. The Soviet Union. Andrew, the land of the man-eaters, apparently. That's a good call. Anybody want to go there? No? Anybody up for that this morning? No? No? Thomas, Syria, Philip, North Africa, Matthew, Persia, Ethiopia, James, where'd he end up? Syria. All throughout the then known world. Most dying a death of martyrdom for the sake of Jesus. And on the mission to make disciples on the mission to make disciples now I'll just say this and I'm not I I, please don't hear me when I say but this just makes me wince a little when I see that and how seriously the first century disciples took the great commission Folks, the Great Commission, if you're in here this morning and you're a follower of Christ, let me just say this really, really clearly with all the love that I can muster. The Great Commission, the mission that we're on is not optional. It is not optional. So the, intention, so the, the goal must be intentional. There must be Movement. And it's like, this is the job description for every single follower of Christ. Once we've committed ourselves to Jesus, we are committing ourselves to making disciples. And So the most important question that we can ask at this point is very simple. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? And again, I'm sorry if this seems too elementary. But it's really, really important. The standard definition, the English definition of a disciple is this. Someone who adheres to the teachings of another. A follower, a learner. That refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, it means this. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. Learn from Jesus to live like Jesus. And then I'm going to add one step further to repeat that process. To teach others to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus. How? So if that's the what? A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus, to teach others to learn from Jesus and live like Jesus. How? How how do we learn from Jesus? And the answer, again, I'm sorry, is really, really simple. It's not overly complicated. It is this: it is the Word of God that has been so graciously given to us by Him for this very purpose. For us to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus, to teach others to learn from Jesus and live like Jesus. It is word. It is the word. Discipleship must be word-centered, not personal preference-centered, not anything else, not opinion-centered. It must be word-centered. And so if that's the case, if it is word-centered, what do we see in the word that helps us to learn from Jesus? I'm going to give us two things, two really practical things this morning that we see in Scripture, that we learn from Jesus, that we, can, we should, as disciples, apply in our own lives to live like Jesus. Two really simple things. And the first one is this, and we see this clearly throughout Scripture. And this is critical in the life of a disciple. Critical. Because we learn it from Jesus. Jesus both taught this and displayed it. And it was this. Spending, this is not rocket science, no, no drum roll, spending time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus. Retreating from the world and simply being with, learning from him. Folks, how often, how often do we miss the significance of this simple act of spiritual discipline? How often? Again, sorry for for going back to the whole Navy SEAL analogy, but, and it's the same in any special ops force, anything that needs to be ready to go when they need to go, if the SAS or the SEALs or whatever... Just lay about drinking coke or or even Coke Zero, as I'm I'm a fan of Coke Zero. Ah, but anyway, because there's no nothing in that, nothing bad in that, nothing bad in that, nothing bad in that. Right, Coke Zero. What if they? What if the Navy Seals or SAS or any of these guys just sat around all day, every day, drinking that and and eating Mars bars? Again, not a fan myself, but anyway, uh, what if they did that and they didn't train? They didn't go on twenty five mile runs, or they didn't do their their whatever press ups they do, or they didn't do whatever pull ups they do, or whatever their special ops training that they do. What if they didn't do that and then they got to go? How long are fella can't go by? Not well, I'm not fit for this, like. Not fit for this. You want me to go to Afghanistan again? What would happen? They would fail in their mission. They would fail in their mission. And here we are, the church. And we've been given the tools. We've been given the knowledge. We've been told what to do. And we're drinking Coke Zero and eating Mars bars. For want of a better analogy. Jesus displays it, teaches us, spend time with me. Abide in me learn from me so when the go comes you're ready you're ready let me give you some examples very early in the morning while it was still dark jesus got up that's me out i'm sorry that's just me at that point i'm done if anybody else is with me i don't know but very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Everyone was looking for him, but after his time in prayer, he told his disciples that it was time for them to move on to another village. Mark 1, 35. Luke 6. Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. Matthew 14, when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been been beheaded, one of his best friends had been beheaded. What did he do? He withdrew by a boat privately to a solitary place to be with the Father, to learn to pray. Mark 2, Mark 9, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him up to a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. Again, solitary, alone. That's just four examples. And I could give you 10 to 15. Just like that. Of Jesus withdrawing, being on his own, learning from the Father, praying to the Father, and then re-engaging. Re-engaging. You may argue, but it seems from the weight of the Gospels that this was essential to Jesus. And if it's essential to Jesus... How much more must it be essential for us to withdraw, to be with the Father, to learn, to learn from Jesus, to live like Jesus, to help others to learn from Jesus and live like Jesus. That's the first one. The second thing, the second really practical thing that we need to do and learn from Jesus and how he lives in Scripture is this is that he both displayed it and taught it how to serve one another. Think of the instance where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. It just doesn't sound right. Doesn't, not, nothing about that incident sounds right. Jesus, creator of the universe, sustainer of the universe, the one who has breathed breath into every single one of the disciples to whose feet he was just about to wash takes the towel off, gets down on his knees and washes their feet. It doesn't sound right. And Peter knew it didn't sound right. And this is what he said. This is what Jesus said to Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. But Jesus is a servant. He came to earth not, not to be served, but to serve. He sets us this example. In one sense, this servanthood, this posture of servanthood should characterize the life of a disciple on all fronts. After Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he tells them to love one another. He says this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just that I, as I have loved you you also are to love one another. So there's two really practical things that we learn from the Word of God, how Jesus lived and how Jesus served. One, he spent time alone with the Father. Two, he served his fellow disciple. you call yourself a disciple, if I call myself a disciple, Let me just ask you, are those two things that characterize your life? Are those two things that characterize your life? Does being alone with Jesus characterize your life? And and here's the thing about being alone with Jesus. You can bluff that one. You can bluff it. Because no one knows only him. But you can't bluff the second one. You can't, serving one another, loving one another, you can't bluff that. You can't bluff that. So, those two things that characterize your life. Again, you can bluff the first, you can't bluff the second. Again, not to over, no, overuse this analogy, but I'm sure I could get away with being a Navy SEAL for all of about the first 10 minutes. T- 10 minutes. I think I could do 10 minutes. Genuinely do. Could we ever... T- how, how How? on earth is there a way that you could try that? I'd love that. Just 10 minutes. I think I could do 10 minutes. Until they would say, come on for a run. <laughs> I'm out, lads. I'm out. I hurt my leg. No. You couldn't bluff it. So it is with being a disciple. You can't bluff it. If you're genuine. So, the command is to go what? To make disciples. And this command is for every disciple. Every disciple. So where does our motivation come from for this? Because no matter what we do in life, no matter what we do in the Christian life, there must be a motivation behind what we do. That's why it has to be real. that's, That's what gives it its realness, its purpose. There has to be motivation. And the motivation for disciple making is twofold. Love for our father and love for our neighbor. Love for our father and love for our neighbor. Again, we're reminded of what Paul said last week, the love of Christ controls us. Why do we make disciples? Because the love of Christ controls us. We love Jesus and we love our neighbor. Therefore we go and we make disciples. We have to be motivated by love of him and love of others. I want to keep this as brief as possible today. So what we have is the command to go. We know the mission. We know what a disciple is. We know what we're to do. And so I want to call us as a church to that. That is our number one mission. There are lots of other good things we can do. There are lots of other honorable things that we can do. But our number one mission as Cornerstone Church is this. Make disciples. Make disciples. Leon Crump said this. Leon's uh, is a pastor in Atlanta, part of the Acts 29 network. He said this. Is it wrong to have great small groups? No. This is an intimate environment that can be leveraged for ministry in varying and dynamic ways. Is it wrong to, have, to, to host incredible services? No. Your gathering, like it or not, is your front door. It should be hospitable. It should be engaging. It should be meaningful. It should be moving. It should be growing if it's healthy. There's nothing wrong with having huge Sunday gatherings if they are done well. Nothing wrong with it. None of these things are wrong. Actually, these and many other things we do are both good and necessary. But are they the priority? No. No. Our first priority is following Jesus' command. He gave to the first people who followed him. And that was this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Folks, this is the command. This is the call. This is the priority of the people of Jesus. That's the mission. Making disciples who make disciples. And everything we do must be geared towards that mission. Now, I need to ask a couple of questions this morning as we finish. First question, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room this morning and you're not just a visitor, love you, if you're a visitor we'd love to have you here, but if you've been here for a while, if you call Cornerstone your home, here's the question, are you committed to that mission here in Cornerstone Church? Are you committed to the mission of making disciples as part of Cornerstone Church? If so, brilliant. If so, fantastic. That is good news. We are delighted that that's the case. Am I committed to the, to the, to the mission of making disciples here in Cornerstone Church? That's a question that I must answer for myself. But the first question you need to ask is, are you committed to that mission here in Cornerstone Church? If so, brilliant. If not, why why are you here? I'm not talking, as I say, I'm not talking to visitors. If you've not been here for a while, if you've not been here for a while, I'm talking to people who are calling Cornerstone their home if you're not committed to the mission of making disciples in Cornerstone Church, why are you here? Why are you here? Why am I here? It's been really good to have one service, hasn't it? Yeah? It's been brilliant. I love it. I wish we could do this every week. Maybe we need to get smaller. Are you committed to the mission? Are you helping the mission? Are you forwarding the mission? If I'm not, I'm I'm literally talking to me. If I'm not, it's either time for me to get off or get on board. And I'm talking to me. That is directly speaking to me. I'm doing a bit of a thing here. versus it's just me. Folks. We saw the gravity. Of which the first disciples held this, this command. We saw where it led them. We saw the sort of lives that it led them to for most of them, they ended up giving up their lives for Jesus. The weight of the command and how seriously they took it is astonishing to me. And I know I don't take it anywhere near as seriously as they did to my shame. so what is a disciple a disciple is someone who learns from jesus to live like jesus to help people learn from jesus to live like jesus where do we do that we on our website thing that you go on to i i don't know when the last time i was on the website sorry confession time but uh, That thing that we have there—it says we do it in four places. But let me sum up those four places: everywhere. There is not one place that we should go into or part of our lives where we segregate off the the disciple-making mission. So if that is if that is standing at the sideline of a football game, that's where we make disciples. If that is in the workplace, that's where we make disciples. If it's, on, uh, if it's on any other sporting place, that's where you make disciples. If it's in the milestone, that's where you make disciples. If it, There should be no area of our lives where disciple-making is restricted from. Let me give you the quote from Abraham Kuiper that you will all know. And this will back up why every single area of our life is within the scope of disciple-making. He says this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence, of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. So there's nowhere that's beyond the scope of disciple-making. It's all of life, all the time. All of life, all the time. Folks, the promise here that Jesus gives at the end of the Great Commission. So, as I said, the, the authority part was just before the go. And then he gives this wonderful assurance at the end. I don't know if you saw it there, but it's, it's beautiful. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold. I am with you always. That's the guarantee. You're not doing it on your own. If we're going out there on our own to make disciples, then forget about it. My children love when I make noises during sermons, by the way. I just did it there again. I don't know what that means. but I don't know. The guarantee is that you're not doing it on your own. He is with you. So, when you have that first awkward conversation with someone about Jesus, he's there. Backing you up. He's there. He has not left you, he has not abandoned you. He is in, with you in this process of disciple making. So, are we up for making disciples in Cornerstone Church? Not so much. Are we up for making disciples in Cornerstone Church? Yes, Yes, we are. Brilliant. Let's get on board. Let's make disciples. Let's see people come to Jesus and live lives worthy of the King. Amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that it has made it clear that we are to go into the world and make disciples. We thank you for the promise that you're with us when we do it. You have not left us. You have not abandoned us. You give us the tools in our hand to carry out the mission. Thank you. Thank you for the many promises in Scripture where you tell us that you'll not leave us nor forsake us. You'll be with us. We love you. We thank you for Jesus, for his sacrifice for us. In his beautiful name we pray. Amen.